Hi, I'm Dan Permac, and welcome to Axios Recap, brought to you by Comcast. Today is Friday, March 12th, and we're looking back at this same week last year, the week America changed. This is our COVID-19 Decision Maker series, conversations about some of the most consequential decisions made this time last year. Today, we're looking at the White House decision to shut down travel from Europe. It went into effect on the Friday night of that week and was aimed at stopping the flow of new cases coming in from abroad. But arguably, it was too little too late because community spread was already out of hand in the U.S., Dr. Anthony Fauci was part of making the Europe travel ban decision, and he testified in support of it in front of Congress that week. It's very clear that 70 percent of the new infections in the world are coming from that region, from Europe, seeding other countries. Dr. Fauci joins us today to talk about his policy discussions with President Trump, his days of shuttling between Capitol Hill and the White House, and whether he still supports the actions taken during that week one year later. That conversation in 15 seconds. When was the moment you realized how bad this was going to be? We were getting dribs and drabs of information from China that was, you know, it was a progression of, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness kind of thing, where first of all, the first phone call that I got was from Bob Redfield, like New Year's Eve in December 31st, saying, I just got a call from my colleagues in, in uh, Europe, and they have an outbreak in Wuhan, and they think it's in a market, and they think it's just jumping species, and there are 24 cases. You know, and Bob and I knew from our experience is that that's how SARS started, but you don't have 24 people getting infected in the same wet market. You get one person, and then they present it to somebody who presents it to somebody. So I said, what the heck is going on with 24 people? So the thought is that maybe they weren't telling us everything. The big hook that got everybody who knows anything about viruses to say, that would be an unusual situation to jump to 24 people at the same time. You know, that's just not the way zoonotics occur. So then it was, okay, it goes from animal to human. And then a week or so later, it goes, now, wait a minute, we're getting some human to human, but don't worry, because it's not very efficient. And we were, we were depending, because we didn't have any cases. Remember, the first case that we had in the United States was like January 21st. And we didn't know about community spread until later. So we were, we were going on the information we had. So it went from animal to human, no human to human spread. Human to human spread, but not very efficient. Well, human to human spread, and it's pretty efficient. And then the real showstopper was, it's transmitted by people who don't have any symptoms. That was the one that had us sit back and say, wait a minute, we got a lot of stuff here. First of all, if that's the case, clearly everybody's got to wear a mask. Number two, we got to find out if masks work. And then we did meta-analysis and we found out it worked. Next, we realized that there was no shortage, which we thought there was. So forget about it. Everybody's got to start wearing a mask all the time. And then it became very clear that identification, isolation, and contact tracing was going to be much more difficult. That was the other thing. 
How many people are spreading it uh, asymptomatically? Well, a few. Well, maybe a little bit more. Well, maybe a little bit more. And then when they finally did the study, it found out that between 50 and 60 of all the transmissions occur from somebody that doesn't have any symptoms, which completely changes the complexion of the outbreaks. As every week goes by, you learn something else that causes you to change a bit your perspective on the disease. Right in the beginning, early on, when we had the first case of COVID-19 in this country, people said, should we be doing anything different? I said, we should not be doing anything different right now. Then I said, however, underlined 15 times, things could get much worse quickly, so we have to be prepared. Yet, it keeps getting thrown back at me that in March, you said we shouldn't do anything different. Now, you give, you say, don't panic now. However, you really need to be prepared because things could change. It was clear that things were going to get worse. It wasn't anything that you could sugarcoat. So I said, things are going to get worse before they get better. Dr. Fauci, can you tell us the story of that week? Well, there were two things. One was the intensity around the cruise ship, the Grand Princess, but probably much more dominating in my thoughts about that week was the day that we shut down or made the decision to shut down Europe. It was a, it was a most extraordinarily intense week, which was in some respects uh, had an almost ludicrous aspect about it. It was as follows. We were having a testimony that was a little bit sharp in the sense of asking tough questions. It was a House Energy and Commerce Oversight Committee. And it was a hearing that was in the morning and we had gotten the night before that I had to go brief the president with Debbie Burks in the Oval Office at 12.30. Now, I had already pre-determined and discussed with the chairperson that I would have to leave at 11.45 in order to get to the White House. And she said, no problem, we have a lot more questions. We're gonna have to have you come back. And that was at the time that the president was sort of playing down the intensity of it. So they asked me a question, how do you think things are going? And I said that it was really getting more and more serious and it's gonna get a lot worse before it gets better. Here's where the part was that's only in Washington, D.C. could this happen. Then I got up and I said, bye, I have to go because I already arranged that I was gonna go. All of the press saw me leave and they somehow made in their own mind thought that the president was listening on C-SPAN to the fact that I said things were gonna get worse before they get better, that he immediately summoned me to the Oval Office, which he did not at all. And as I was walking out of the House Rayburn building, I was followed literally by about 15 cameras and people putting mics in my face saying, why did you leave? Why did you leave? Did the president call you back? And I says, no, I have a pre-scheduled meeting at the White House. They wouldn't believe me. They thought that the president actually called me out because he didn't like what I said, which just goes to show you how quickly the rumor flashes. 
When I finally got into the White House, Debbie Burks had been working very diligently, and we went into her little cubicle office in the White House, in the West Wing, and we sat down, and this was, you know, by the time I got there, it was like noon, and we went over fine-tuning, editing the proposal that we were going to make to the president. We went into the Oval Office, and the president sat me and Deb, and I believe it was Barb Redfield and uh, Alex Azar, and uh, the vice president was there. And he said, well, what's going on? I believe it was Deb gave the proposal that it's important that because of the number of cases that are coming in from Italy, it was very interesting, that it was clear that New York was getting hit by cases that were coming not from China directly, but were coming from Italy and then essentially the rest of Europe. There was a reasonable back and forth where the president was saying, is this something we absolutely need to do? And I remember he looked me straight in the eye and he says, what do you think? I says, yes, I believe, as I was saying at the Congress a little bit ago, things are gonna get worse before they get better. So if you really don't want a big influx of cases coming in from Europe, we really need to shut down, you know, Italy. And then they said, well, you can't just do Italy. You've got to do essentially all the countries in the European Union. And he went around, asked a couple of pertinent questions. There was a bit of a pushback from the economics people. Uh, they didn't like that idea. They thought that it would trigger a recession, if not a depression, if we did that. But again, you know, to the president's credit, he said, well, if we got to do it, if the docs think we need to do it, we're just going to have to do it. The, the most difficult decision that I had to make was whether or not deep down I thought it was really a good idea to shut down Europe because there are a number of other uh, negative aspects of shutting down travel from a different country. And I was, I, I wouldn't say struggling, but I had to seriously consider what are the pros and what are the cons? The president turned to me, which he was prone to do a lot back then when he was actually talking to me. <laughs> he, he turned to me and he said, Tony, what do you think? And I said, I think this is something we really need to do, Mr. President. How many people do you think were impacted by that decision? It had to be millions and millions and millions of people. Absolutely. That's the thing I had to think long and hard about when I made my recommendation and answered the president's question that, yes, this is something we should do. When did you realize it was too late that the pandemic was no longer under control? I was born and raised in New York, and I did all of my medical training at the New York Hospital Cornell Medical Center. I know New York City. I know New York City health systems. I grew up in it. You know, I know what it means to spend uh, 48 hours in a row in an emergency room on York Avenue and 68th Street. And when I found that my colleagues in New York were getting completely overwhelmed with cases, it was just like, this was unbelievable. We've never seen anything like this before. Then I knew we were really in trouble. Knowing what you know now in March of 2021, is there anything you would have done differently in this week in 2020? Of course, I just told that to you. <laughs> and, but it, it's, it's a non-answerable question because when you say, if you had known this, what would you have done different? Means that it was a mistake what you did then, which it isn't. We didn't have the knowledge then. 
So the one thing is obviously, if we knew then that this was a virus that was capable of spectacularly efficient spread, particularly among people who have no symptoms, they're spreading it, then you would have said, we should shut the country down now. You know what would have happened? People would have looked at me like I was crazy. What are you talking about, shut the country down? We've only had a few cases. But if we knew then that we had clear, efficient spread predominantly by people who were not symptomatic, if we knew that as a fact, there was suspicion of it, people were talking about it, there was indications, but we didn't know the magnitude of how it was spread that way. What was all of this like for you personally, you know, the fame, the security detail? I focus like a laser beam on what it is that I'm doing and the importance of it. And although these other things, as they started to come out with, you know, memes and, and you know, coffee cups and donuts and fan clubs and all that, that never really got to me because it was balanced on the other side by people who were threatening my life, my family, hassling us. So I said, you know, this is a weird, a weird world I'm in here. Let me just focus on what I'm supposed to be doing and not focus on this somewhat unreal world of celebrity as unreal as people trying to kill me. <laughs> you know, both of those are really unreal. I don't mean to blow it off in, in any disrespectful way, but it's just, you just focus on your job. All of the other stuff is, you know, is sort of surrealistic, I think. Thank you, Dr. Anthony Fauci, for joining us. Thank you. Take care. In 15 seconds, we'll revisit the emerging crisis in testing from that week. Welcome back. As we reflect on this one week in March, I want to revisit something else everyone was talking about that week. Testing. But we've done a good job on testing, and uh, it was very interesting. You might ask God about it, actually. That was President Trump speaking on March 12, 2020, during a meeting with the Irish prime minister. The two leaders were maskless during that meeting, seated close together. The reality of testing, though, was far different. Here's CNN's Jake Tapper from that same day. More than 1,400 are confirmed infected. Now, we do not know the actual number of people in the U.S. who are infected, because so few Americans have actually been tested. And that's because there are so few test kits actually available on the front lines and even fewer labs that are now able to process samples. Comedian Seth Meyers that day also chimed in on warnings from public health officials that were going unheeded. It's like being the one person in a horror movie who knows they're in a horror movie. That captures the national mood at the moment, kind of the beginning of a horror movie. People were packing up their offices and preparing for their children to learn from home and trying to buy toilet paper and a million other challenges that hadn't even been considered just days earlier. Big thanks for listening and to the team behind this series. This episode was produced by Naomi Shaven, Tim Shovers, Amy Padula, Alice Wilder, and Alex Sugiora. Research and fact-checking by Oriana Gonzalez. Dan Bobkoff is our executive producer. Have a great national baked scallop day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios recap.